over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I am your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to Voice America Women's Network with my co-host, Lauren Deller. Lauren, how are you this morning? Good morning, Catherine. I'm good. Great. I'm how so are you? Alone. I'm fine. I'm doing really well today, believe it or not. <laughs> Home. You're home now, right? You're not traveling. I'm finally home. I have been all. I just got back from Washington D.C. Did my show at my Washington D.C. show. I did it actually in the studio in D.C. But oh, wow. uh, yeah, remember, like we have had all those travel people on the show for the past uh-huh. couple of weeks. Well, I, I went to the Travel Expo in D.C. And it was at the convention center, like I said, and uh-huh. I introduced, yeah, went over, introduced myself to the president of the uh, of the uh, whole convention who put the thing together, uh, Costas Christ, Costas Christ, he, I had interviewed him on the show, and also, you know, went around to the different booths, Lauren, I thought I knew everything about travel, but here's one, you don't need this, because you have a great body, thin, athletic, but they have what they call the, it's the, it's the fat bat packing trip, <laughs> they, they oh call it the God. fat bat, it's, it's, it's very difficult to say, fat bat Tracking. If any of you, if anyone's interested, Back you can do fast backpacking. Right? Yeah, or they call it fit backpacking. But it's for people who are a overweight. Um, you know, I don't think you can be like a hundred or two hundred pounds overweight. Although he said he had one guy on the, who did a backpacking trip who was. They can, tried to convince him not to do it, but he, he was able to do it. But like if you've got a gut and you're, you know, or you've, you're 10, 20, 30, 40 pounds, or whatever you are, you know, overweight, uh-huh. this is for overweight people, and they take them through the national parks. And apparently, you know, the trips aren't that difficult, I don't think, and you carry all your food on your back. Oh, my God, I love this. <laughs> so, you know, you can't carry that much stuff, and if you're fat, you can carry less. So uh-huh. people lose a lot of weight at their one-week trips, two-week trips, some of the Adirondacks. Some are up in, uh, you know, in Colorado, West Coast, East Coast. They've got them all over the place. That's funny. That's isn't a that, great idea. Isn't that? That's a very cool idea. This is a guy. He's out of right outside of Boston, Massachusetts. That's where the company is from. But fat backpacking. There's something for everybody. There is. That's amazing. I've never heard of that before. But not for you, my dear. <laughs> no, I'm not going on that one. You don't need it. Do you have the babysitter today? Is the nanny there? Yes, she's here early, so we're good. So we're cool. We're relaxed. Our guests are ready, and we got some great guests on the show this morning. This is, uh, uh, well, perfect timing. Chris Schlesinger, he is an award, he's called the award-winning king of the grill, and John, quote, Doc Willoughby, who's the executive the editor of Gourmet Magazine. They have spent years spanning the globe to collect more than 200 original recipes for their inventive new book. Book, Grill It, which I have right in front of me, gorgeous book. The the uh, photography is incredible, and we're going to learn from that from them today the benefits of their four essential grilling techniques. In case you don't know those, and ten key tips for better grilled food. Welcome to the show, good gentlemen. Morning, how good are morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? Great. What a great book. I love it. Grill It, Recipes, Techniques, Tools. But before I, we get into some of these techniques and whether we have the right tools, I always think about grilling, gentlemen, is for men and not for ladies. It seems to me that men do most of the grilling in the families. Is that true or not? 
Well, I think it's a, actually a conspiracy by men. I know my father uh, always tried to make grilling seem like it was indecipherable and uh, <laughs> the hardest possible thing to do, and he'd always brag as we delivered, uh, you know, great grilled meals from the uncertainties and wilds of the backyard. But I think it's actually pretty easy, so it's just uh, the... You know, it's a matter of uh, just breaking through the conspiracy and taking okay, over so. the grill. So. All right, so it's either, but it's not. It's not gender specific. Men and women can grill. Um, and in our family, we always start grilling around. We you know this is in New York, so spring to October is the grilling season for us. But. Uh, and we start, you know, you talk about lighting the fire, different ways of lighting the fire. Start with the fire. That was a big bone of contention between among my three boys and myself. What's the perfect kind of fire? Do you use wood? Do you use briquettes? I mean, you discuss all of this in the book. Everybody has their own idea, I think, about what the perfect kind of fire is. And, I, you know, the is perfect John? fire. Yes, this is yeah. John. Hi, John. Uh, and, hi. The perfect fire is the one that, you know, is the most fun for you. And the perfect fire for us is a fire... We used hardwood charcoal instead of briquettes, if you can get a hold of it, because it's a cleaner and a hotter flame with the tar- hardwood charcoal. And then put a, take a little piece of log, you know, some little piece of hardwood, and throw that on there, too, because that gives you a little extra smoke. But I think the main uh, thing you want to be aware of when you're building a fire is try to build it with different areas of heat. So have it very high, a lot of coals on one side of the grill, and slope it down towards the other side, and then leave the other side a little bit of area where there's no coals at all. This way you have a lot of different um, heats to cook over, and you have an area where if something flares up, you can move it over to the area where there aren't any coals at all until the flare-up is died down. It just gives you a lot of versatility. Yeah, and good advice, John, because I see a lot of people out there, they kind of just jump the whole package in, and it lay it, and it's flat out. You know, they're, and they're sort of the coals are even, but you're saying don't do that. Well, I think it gives you a lot more uh, ability to work in different areas of heat if you slope it, slope it down. And the one most common mistake that people make, I think, when they're grilling is to overcook the food. And part of that is because if you just got one big pile of coals and you're cooking right over it, you might tend to overcook. I also have a fear that I'm not going to cook it enough and that I'm going to get, you know, poison from my, well, you talk, you know, the chicken isn't going to be cooked enough, and so I tend to overcook it on the grill because I'm afraid it's going to be too pink and I'll get sick from it, is so, but not. Well, we encourage you. I think getting food done, as Doc says, is is really crucial to any type of cooking, and uh, we encourage people to go ahead and we call it the nick, peak, and cheap method, where you go ahead and. (laughs) make a small slice in that chicken thigh or pick up that fish and kind of bend it and be able to take a a look at the interior, and then you can really get a sense of of how it's done because to get that done properly is, is really right at the heart of cooking. Well, here's another fear. I guess I have a lot of fears about grilling. You're sort of allaying these fears, but like if you cut into the chicken or you cut into that beautiful piece of beef, the juices are going to come out and then you've ruined the whole piece of beef well, or that's chicken. The way, that's the way we were trained, but it, actually it turns out that's not supported by the cell structure of the meat and you will lose some juice from the cells of where the cut actually is, but it's not like a puncturing a balloon and all the juices run out. And We believe that, that learning how to tell when the when the food is cooked properly is is paramount to uh, the minimal juice loss that you might experience. 
All right, Chris, what about this? What about what kind of fuel do we use for the fire? This was another issue that was part of our family discussions about grilling. You know, what do you use the chemical stuff? Do you use the lighter fluid or you just light paper or what is there well, is there a I'm right a, way? One of my original no, I think there there are a number of different ways to do it. They have the you know, the match light, there's the chimney style. I still I know that this is unpopular with some people, but uh I like the lighter fluid. I mean, that was my introduction into grilling as a young pyromaniac, is spraying the lighter fluid <laughs> all over it. Throw that lighter fluid. Hopefully you don't burn the house down, right? And people will say that it, it, it gives the, uh, you know, the food an off taste, but it, it just is, you know, when it burns off, it's gone. So that, to me, that's the simplest way with the lighter fluid. I, I like the big fireball that shoots into the sky, but. All right, John, what about this one now, the tools? You have to have the right kinds of tools. I mean, I found myself with a tiny little fork out there trying to maneuver everything, and <laughs> it doesn't do it. work. Yeah. You don't need a lot of tools for grilling. I mean, it's fun. You know, my father always bought every new grilling gadget that came along. He bought it, but it was usually gone by the next season. Um, you really, What you really need is a good grill, and you need a really nice pair of tongs. I mean, don't, I don't mean expensive, but they need to be heavy-duty and spring-loaded, and actually, I think it's good to have four or five pairs of them so you can, if you misplace one, you've got another one right there because they are essential, as essential as anything is for grilling. It lets you pick things up and move things around on the grill. You can stir the coals with them. It's like having a hand that doesn't burn. And that, for me, is the number one grilling tool is a good pair of spring-loaded heavy-duty tongs. All right. That's probably number one. Get those long tongs. Very Absolutely. important. Yeah, that is important. Okay, you have 200 recipes. Why? What were your criteria for choosing these particular recipes? In, uh, for your book? Well, kind of the perspective on, on this particular grill book is an international perspective. And, and uh, I know in the States that we've always been accustomed to the, you know, dad in the backyard with the burgers and hot dogs and, you know, steaks and chops. And recently people have been, you know, experimenting with fish and vegetables and even fruit. But if you look around the world, there are a bunch of cultures that use live fire cookery as an everyday technique. And I think if we, you know, get some inspiration from them, we... We bring a lot of new flavors in these spice rubs that we use, soy sauce, lime juice, cilantro, chilies, things like that, really add a lot of added dimensional flavor to the grilling process. Yeah, they do, Chris, and I have to say they're 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 different, but at the same time, they are certainly ingredients you can buy at the grocery store. You don't have to be spending your time going to gourmet food shops to find all these ingredients, which makes it nice and easy. Um You've got one Cuban-style smoked pork ribs. Those are in a picture. I mean, just really to die for, <laughs> and uh, delicious. A Cuban and a Buenos. Uh, you went to Buenos Aires, Argentinian. We traveled the world for yeah. our readers, and somebody's got to go out there and you know eat all this food and travel. And you know, <laughs> we've been we've... traveling for about uh, twenty years since we did our first cookbook, and this this cookbook is sort of the result of all. All the traveling and everything we've learned about grilling in all those years, we try to put it all in here. And we've got a, a little sections in the book called Flavor Footprints, which are our attempt to sort of um, encapsulate what the di- flavor dynamics of each part of the world are and sort of bring them to you in ways that are easy so that you don't have to spend, as you said, you don't have to have a lot of specialty ingredients, but by combining a few key ingredients, you can get a, a Southeast Asian flavor, a Mexican flavor, and so it adds a lot of variety. Now, what kind of grill, just the grill itself, what do we need? Or is it just depends on, you know, your own particular needs, each person, family. Uh, do you recommend any specific kinds of grills? I think the, uh, I like the larger, 
the larger grill surface, the better as far as I'm concerned because I think that allows you to have that multi-level fire that we talk about. So I like the, uh, my personal favorite is Weber does a charcoal grill called a ranch kettle, and it's your basic Weber, but it's kind of like it's on steroids. It's huge, and it's uh, it's really versatile. You can do the barbecue and the smoke roast, and, and you have plenty of room to move all the food around. So that's the male barbecue, I guess, if it's on steroids, right? <laughs> we guy need a guy barbecue. Yeah, that's a guy barbecue. Um, so, no, you guys travel around together. I mean, how, what's the process of writing these cookbooks? I mean, because you have to get along. You have to make these decisions. Um, just We only have a couple minutes less, left, but uh, tell us, give us some of the dynamics of putting a cookbook like this together. Well, I think a lot of the, actually, a lot of the work is sort of sitting down and planning it out. You know, what kind of flavors are we going to use? What, how are we going to divide the book? And what, how far afield do we want to go? And how much do we want to make it really simple? And I, this book, I think, worked really well in that way because we did, I think we got a whole range of flavors and ingredients, but we kept it simple and straightforward. And once that's all planned, then Chris has to go come up with all the recipes while I rest and relax. And then he... Turns, once they're all tested and ready to go, he turns them over to me. And I write stuff and send it to him. He, you know, we send them back and forth. We've been doing it for a long time, and it's, it's pretty, pretty seamless at this point. All right, so Chris and John, I have to ask you last question. Now, you're doing all this, you know, with, with the cookbook and testing the food. And those, are you thin? What's your weight? I mean, how do you keep yourself in shape and, and do this at the same time? Chris. <laughs> I don't know what you look like. It, there's a lot of nervous energy involved with running a restaurant and running around, so I managed to uh, I managed to balance my lifestyle pretty well. Uh, I have a rule for myself that I don't eat anything fattening during the day, and then at night I eat whatever I want. Yeah, so, great idea. That's you know, a good that's idea. Kind of yeah, I like that, John, because I do the same thing. We have to say goodbye. We've got 30 seconds left. Listeners, go out, buy the book, grill it, Recipes, Techniques, and Tools, Chris Schlesinger and John Willoughby. Fantastic book. I love it. Uh, sort of the Bible of grilling, I would say. You can buy it online, Amazon.com, and bookstores everywhere. Absolutely. That's right. Great. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks, gentlemen. You are listening to The Catherine Zock Show on Voice America Women's Network. I'm your social worker with the microphone and my co-host, Lauren Beller. We'll be back in a minute. Don't go away. Talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. Ladies, are you looking for a place where you can talk candidly about anything and everything? Well, here it is. Timeless Women Speak on the Voice America Women's Channel. We'll talk about sexuality, age-proofing your career, finding your passion and purpose, keeping your brain power, keeping your marriage fresh, dating for grown-ups, plastic surgery, surviving our beauty culture, and much more. Tune in Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific to Timeless Women Speak with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly on the Voice America Women's Channel. Experts say everybody is addicted to something. Did you know that addiction affects about 15% of our country's middle class population? How many people do you know who are dependent on some kind of substance? Would you guess your friends, your neighbors? How about your family? You may be surprised. Many of us live with chronic pain, which has made us drug dependent, prescription drug dependent. Others struggle with alcohol, methamphetamine, and cocaine addiction. 
Do you have a chronic pain problem? There is another way out. Tune in each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for a new prescription for health with Dr. Richard Gracer on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Radio that talks with you, not at you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us this morning. And I know it's very early on the West Coast. Not where we've got a three hours. It's only like 1018 here, so we got some... Not so up. I don't have to get up so early, which is great. Anyway, I'm Catherine Sox. I'm your social worker with a microphone on Voice America Women's Network with Lauren Beller. Uh, Lauren, so you're going to get out there and do some grilling? It's not my department. It's the man's department. <laughs> See, that's you should have said something. It always is, and it's kind of like that conspiracy. Men make it sound like it's some big secret kind of thing, and well, it's, it's not. It's not actually. That's not the reason. It's not my department. It's not my department because my husband really spends very little time in the kitchen. If he spent more time in the kitchen, I mean, you might be more apt to do some grilling. See, that's the answer, and I think that's true of most women. And if any of you ladies disagree with me, give us a call. But that's true. Cause, so it's like a relief. Exactly. They don't, yeah, they so don't. if I step into it, it'll become my job again, and it's not. I don't want it. Then you'll be running for us. Back and forth, exactly. grilling, broiling, doing the whole thing. This is a great book, though. This the grill it, the, the cookbook. It sounds like a great yeah. book. Yeah, it's, it's really. I like picture books. I like you know when there's good pictures. Yeah. So uh, so anyway, so you don't want to get in. I mean, let let Rob do the grilling. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I, yeah. And Barry does the grilling too, and he's very particular. He actually doesn't even want my help. He don't, wants me to stay away from it because then we can get in. <laughs> there's a whole dynamic. Family dynamic, isn't yeah. there going yeah. on there? Like who knows what and who you know that kind of stuff. So we stay away from it. Um, and it's there, like don't, it's become over whatever a relationship where the years or the decade or the century. It's like their domain. It is their domain. I wonder when that started. I, <laughs> I mean, it was that it was serious. When Probably kitchens in went inside, when kitchens went in the house, their yeah. domain stayed outside. Yeah. But you have these pictures of, like, in the 50s of these men, the only time they ever cooked. Exactly. And they have the Adrian Martini in hand uh-huh. with the big hats on, those big grilling hats. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those, like, chef, the yep. chef's hat? Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a, my cousin is a big, he likes to grill, and he's a big, um, he does fried turkeys, you know, outside. Oh, Thanksgiving turkeys outside uh, are delicious. He, yeah, he's just really good at doing fried turkeys. He does them on Lake George's um, long, you know, he takes, he literally will pack his entire boat with all of the detail, I mean, every down, down to the last detail of what you need for having um, margaritas and a fried turkey on an island in on Lake George. And I got him an apron that said, real men fry turkeys. <laughs> <laughs> what do real men do? Oh, God. <laughs> well, let's talk about real men. What's a real man? Uh, you know, the definition oh. of what a real man is, um, that's a toughie. Isn't it like what's between your each of their own ears, though? Like what they believe is real. What men believe is a real man, and what women be, be, believe is a real man are two totally two different, different things. things, right? There's a real discrepancy, I think. Don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Like if we were to make the T-shirts that said "Real Men Fill in the Blanks" and men made them, they would be night and day. It would be a totally a different world. It would totally different T-shirts. They. 
T-shirt. That's a great idea. <laughs> An entrepreneurial idea, yeah. Well, I, I read the New York Times. It was, uh, I think, it was on Sunday, and I guess uh, it, it says the pink revolution is spreading across society. Because I'm thinking of going to Russia. This is going to be my next trip, maybe. Mm. And it, they're talking about in Moscow. You know, the big drink in in Russia is vodka. That's what everybody drinks. But don't they make it there? I get yeah, Russian vodka. I yeah. mean, they, and actually, they have serious problems with alcoholism and stuff because it's cold. And what do people do? They go and they drink. drink their, yeah. But now, and it's always been kind of, that's been a masculine kind of thing, Russian, you know, vodka. But now they're selling vodka. It's the same vodka, but Russian vodka with a feminine kick. So it's shaped, has a much more, the bottle itself, this that particular, so funny. yes, has a, a kind of more of a, a feminine shape to it and has a, a skirt wrapped around the bottle. So it's appealing to, to, to women. Um, because women's roles are changing in Russia and their traditional roles of wife and mother is changing and now they are marketing to women for this this uh for, for uh, vodka. I forgot the name of it, the uh the brand, but it's um it always has been traditionally a masculine product and that's changing too. That women now drink vodka relaxing with their girlfriends, um <laughs> and uh you know, going out by themselves to restaurants and stuff like that, which is a big change in Russian culture anyway. So I think I probably drink more vodka than wine. <laughs> <laughs> I drink more gin. I'm a uh, gin person, not I a like vodka drinker. I'm not, I would prefer any day I have a vodka or gin over wine. And I, I will drink wine, but um, I can see the whole liquor, like vodka, and I think in, in Russia, isn't it vodka? Vodka. Is it vodka? I think so. Vodka. Yeah. I think so. Um, maybe not. I don't know. And, but I could see the whole, I mean, there's, what they're doing is they're adding the flavors, which is so much more feminine. Men don't drink that. You know no, I mean? and I don't either. You see, you talk about the definition of men and women. I have more masculine tastes, I think, than, I mean, I like my, I don't like liquor that has all kinds of, as you Foo like. Foo-foo foo yeah, flavors. The fruity stuff and, and the pink and the, you know, I like it straight up and I like it just, whether it's scotch or vodka or gin without, or a martini, you know, straight up martini, not with all the, Fruity, fruity stuff. Uh huh. So that that's really true, and I yeah. yeah, I I can drink with you like that sometimes. <laughs> but not all I the actually time. think it's better for you. Interestingly enough, this is my own philosophy, and I've never heard this from anybody. Um, but I think that it's a clean. Like I think there's less toxins and tannins and all the stuff that's in wine. I think that it has more chemicals in it. Not chemicals is not the right word, but you know, toxins of some sort. Where I think if I was to drink a gin or a vodka, I think I feel better, believe it or not. It's le- I feel like I've put less crap in my body. Yeah, there's less stuff. Be a purist. I'm the same way with my food, with the drink, and I think that's true. You know, Lauren, I went to this website, and I just want to tell ladies that, that this looked like a pretty good site. If you're interested, it's called the Woman Entrepreneur's Toolbox, 100 Networking Resources. Have you seen that? I have not. Yeah, it's a lot of, I mean, not all of them are great, but they give you, seriously, 100 different networking resources, literally. You know, freelance mom, um, the biz chicks. You know, I think I have seen this. It's a, it's a link to many, many different kinds of companies that help women entrepreneurs. Exactly. Chronicles yeah. of a Mompreneur. Uh-huh. Uh, there was one boss lady, which I went to, which 
didn't come up. It wasn't available, but that looked pretty good. So, but it had family-friendly work. There are just, you know, there are a hundred of them. So just a little, uh, you know, if anybody's interested, you can go to the website and, and pick up on some of these, not all of these. And where did well, you get the new bottles of vodka that... Is that on there? <laughs> That's right. And my mother told me something interesting. She said it was in the New York Times last week. I couldn't find it, but um, that this is another trend for women. Women are, you know, have never been really a part of that old boys network. We know they haven't. You know, men. We talked about. We've talked about this. Absolutely. Go, men yeah. going out, Lauren playing golf and doing their thing, and women you know, uh, executives trying to play golf with them doesn't really work. It doesn't work. And it's not really the venue that women sort of open up and, and have that same kind of camaraderie. So apparently, this is in New York City, and maybe it's happening in other cities around the country, women are going shopping and because women like to shop. every all I mean, I don't know a woman who doesn't on some level like to shop. Shop and talk and also do business as they're shopping. You know, that's very interesting. I just heard of a whole group of women in Atlanta that did this, where the whole group went shopping. It was a it was a group from Atlanta, and that's what they did. That was like a professional event. Yeah, okay, so then maybe this is what we're talking about. That was in Atlanta, I think maybe in New York, same thing. And so you're doing it, it you're not pretending that you like to play golf and you don't or struggling to play the game, which then doesn't really leave you too much energy to do business. Or they don't like it anyway. They don't want you on the ground you know, near them if you're not playing well. Yeah, so or taking it seriously. Exactly. And I so I, I think this is a, a great idea. So it's taking that shopping thing that we do like to do and it opens us you know, we talk and we shop and we also can sit down and then have lunch or whatever and do business and do our networking. Now, I have to ask you a question. If you're shopping with other women, do you really shop and buy and are you really shopping or are you talk like are you connecting with the person and chatting or both? I think it depends on who I'm shopping with. Because I can't do it. I can't shop with somebody and truly shop. Like try to, like if I'm looking for something like it or, you know, window shopping, I, I can window shop, but I will never buy when I'm window shopping because I'm not, like, into it. But I will, I can, you know, some, some, I'm very, maybe I'm a strange shopper. Well, I think there are different kinds of shoppers. You bring up a good point. There are some women I cannot shop with. Hey, no, this is the woman I can't shop with, the one who goes and looks over, can't make a decision. And so, you you know, you're there, you're trying on clothes, trying on the stuff, and will never buy anything it's just you know that drives me nuts i uh-huh. I, I you got to make a choice make a decision buy it and then go on to next so that drives me crazy um i have about two or three women friends two probably women friends and then my mother who i can shop with uh-huh. because we have the same style there's a shopping style there is it's yeah true. and uh so i feel comfortable and then we we sort of have a routine or a rhythm to our shopping, and then we can talk and enjoy it. But um, I guess I that, haven't found that person yet. <laughs> okay, ladies, anybody want to shop with Lauren? <laughs> yeah, I I, ha- I am an independent shopper. I want to go by myself, get my stuff done, and then I'll meet somebody. You know what I mean? I I really love my shopping time, and so like, I, but I I can't do it well if I'm chatting. Tack- you know. So that wouldn't be a good networking situation. No, for, for you, me, then. I wouldn't be able to do it. You I wouldn't. It wouldn't be a good thing. I, I now eating. That's totally different. Eating and networking totally work for me. Drinking, actually, drinking. I get. I don't want to talk about business after I have no. a drink or two. But you can go out for lunch or take somebody out for dinner or yeah, something absolutely. like that, and that's where you would do your networking, but not shopping. So 
Okay, so that's you have to know yourself. I think this is a really important point about this about this topic is that if you're wanting to do business with somebody and it's know when you're able to because to me when you're networking you have to put your energy and your attention on the other person and what they're up to and really take your attention off yourself. So when can I do that? When I'm eating? When I'm walking? You know, I've done a lot of walking things where we meet and we go for a walk. Right, so the focus has to be on the other person if that's what you're trying to do. Get information, create a relationship. Interesting, so maybe shopping wouldn't be the greatest venue. It would be fine if you're just sort of wanting to hang out and not really connect with other people, but it's not the purpose of networking for me. Well, we're going to say we're going to take a break right now. Lauren and I, Catherine Zox and Lauren Beller on Voice America Women's Network. Coming up, Lauren, next we have Jess Weiner, and she motivates and inspires women to take action in their everyday lives. Written several books and is seen frequently on Fox, Oprah, and the Today Show. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Talk radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. JackLalane.com presents Jack Lane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. Each week, Jack is joined by Elaine Lalane and his nephew, bodybuilder, kinesiologist, and personal trainer, Chris Lalane, to answer your questions and help you overcome your fitness roadblocks. That's three times the diet and fitness know-how, three times the entertainment. Tune in every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific to Jack Lalane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. We all have issues. Parenting, addictions, disorders, anxiety, stress. How do we expand on what's working and improve what's not? Let Quantum Leaps with Beth Wilson bring you a high-energy approach to personal growth and creative life change. Listen every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Women's Channel. Let Beth bring you back to sanity with a blend of humor and perspective so you can make the change you need. Quantum Leaps with Beth Wilson. Thursdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, here on Voice America Women's Channel. For the most current and up-to-date information and options in childbearing, family health, and parenting, tune in to Celeste Ranese's Timely Topics in Childbirth, broadcasting every Wednesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you don't know your options, you don't have any. We don't beat you over the head with our opinion, and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio, Voice America Women's Radio Network. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. 
Welcome back to the Catherine Zox Show. Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm Catherine Zox with my co-host Lauren Beller, and you are listening to Voice America Women's Network. Joining us this morning is actionist Jess Weiner, who motivates and inspires women to take action in their everyday lives. Her new book, Life Doesn't Begin Five Pounds From Now, decodes the language of fat that women speak every day and explores how body image controls the way women think about all aspects of their lives. So true. Health, wealth, family, career, and relationships. And uh, Jess has been described as America's queen of self-esteem. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Jess. Hello. Good morning, ladies. Yes. It's really nice to have you on. And it's so true. I mean, it, we are just dominated by the language of fat. I know I am, and I'm still guilty of it, and I'm 60 years old. So you, just, in your book you say, Jess, that F-A-T is the other F word. It is, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's, it's the dirtiest three-letter word I know. <laughs> you know, you can just sort of guarantee ourselves that every woman everywhere just has this crazy fear of being fat. And it's, you know, sometimes I just wonder, what does that really mean for everybody? Because everybody's definition and their own body image is, is so different. But somehow between our family dynamics, our friend dynamics, and the media, we've created this massive hype that the worst thing in the world a woman can do is gain a little weight or be not Hollywood worthy. And I think it's such a detrimental beauty belief to have. And it's almost, uh, it's really difficult to get away from that. And you talk about it in your book, it doesn't mean necessarily that your mother or even your father focused on your fat or focused on how you look. I mean, I have a mother who really didn't focus on looks. It was how competent you were and how, you know, intelligent and do good things and accomplish and stuff like that. But still, I, you know, even though she did that, I still have that, well, I can't go to that party. I got to gain, you know, until I lose five pounds or, you know, I'm not going to, somebody's not going to think I'm attractive until I lose those five pounds. I mean, I've even told my kids, and this is really, I'm embarrassed to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway, I have three boys, so they don't have quite the same thing, although some boys do. Um, you can't, uh, you know, when when I when my time when it's my time to go, don't bury me in anything that's over a size four, and that's the joke in our family. Wow, I mean, yeah. you know, what, what I think what you're bringing up though, too, Catherine, is that we could have we can have escaped it in our families, but really, it is just it's a cultural it permeates through our culture right now, and I think any woman, I always make a joke, and I mention it in my book that. I could meet a woman anywhere in the bathroom and we could talk about the size and shape of our thighs before I ever know her name. Yeah. You know, we bond over the craziest things as women. So I think your preoccupation, even though it may not have happened when you were a kid, you can't escape it being a woman. It is the way we communicate. And that's why to break this pattern, we have to be more active, more conscious, and more determined to make those changes in our lives. They're just not going to happen easily. All right, so we want to do it, Jess. Okay, we are there. We don't Good. want to be focusing on the fat. We, you've got us there, right? Uh, but then how do we do it? How do we get ourselves, like you say, I mean, it's a it's society, I mean, television and movies, and it's everywhere. So how do we break away from that whole I feel fat thing and so I can't, you know, do things because I it's all about my fat? Well, there's a couple things I think you can do to begin, and I just want to remind everybody who's listening that, Whenever you're going to make a big change in your life, whether it's about your diet and exercise or whether it's about your belief system, it takes time, and we know this. It doesn't, take, it doesn't happen overnight. If it happened overnight, we wouldn't even need to have this conversation. So my first bit of advice for people who want to break the cycle of speaking in the language of fat is 
cut yourself a break, have patience, and know this takes time. And I know that sounds like a crazy tip, but we have to put it in perspective. This, for some women, is a lifelong journey. Now, if you're willing to take the journey, the first thing you need to do is watch your language. Watch how many times a day you talk about your appearance, your weight, your food, your fat, your clothes, your hair, your beauty. Our language can be so insidious and so destructive to our own self-esteem and we don't even know it. So watch your language. And for some women, I recommend, recommend writing down uh, how many times a day. Almost call yourself on it. Keep a little journal of the language of that. And just for one day, see how many times you say something disparaging about yourself. That is the first step. And the next step I think is really important is that you have to stay committed to it, meaning even in those moments where you're uncomfortable and you want to say a joke at your own expense about your weight or your beauty, try not to. And I always, again, encourage women to do this through a writing process too. I think when you can dump everything you want to say out loud to your kids, to your husband, to your friends, when you can dump it into a journal or a notebook Keep it there, and then go back and really have the guts to look at it. Sometimes we want to make this grand change in our life, but we don't want to do the dirty work, and we don't want to really look inside of ourselves. All right, so give yourself a break. Be kind to yourself, you're saying. Give yourself time, and I think that's a really good point because we tend to want things done yesterday or Mm -hmm. in a week, and it's not, you can't do, it's been a, and for most of us, it's been a lifetime of talking about fat, so it's going to take, it, you know, it's going to take some time to, to stop doing it, as you say. Yes. Make it real. Write it down. And also in your book, Jess, you say feed your mind. And you give top five, the, and I think these are interesting, the top five translations for I feel fat. What does that mean when you say I feel fat? Let's talk about some of those. Right. Well, I always talk about the fact that, you know, you could, any time a woman says I feel fat or honey, do I look fat in this, I always think about that as like a secret code, like it's a secret language we're speaking because I used to be, and I still sometimes do, by the way. I mean, I'm, I'm writing these books. I'm, I'm working on this in my own life, obviously, and I still have moments where I slip up or where I find myself going down that road again. So I think any time a woman says, you know, honey, do I look fat in this or says to a girlfriend, oh, I look so gross, I always look at that as a secret language for I need some attention, I need some validation, or it could be something that's happened during the day. I found for me, when I was speaking in the language of fat, it meant everything else but that. It meant I got into a fight with my mom and I'm really pissed off. It meant this guy cut me off in traffic. It meant my (laughs) boss didn't give me the promotion I was looking for. It could mean anything, but it always came back to me and my body because women, we cannot control everything in the universe, like although we try to. So I couldn't control how people were feeling or treating me or behaving, but I sure as heck could control my body, and that's why I came back to beat myself up. So I always say that when a woman is asking the question, do I look fat in this, she's really asking something else. She just doesn't know it yet. Yeah, and she might be asking something like you say, I feel sad. She feels sad about something but really doesn't want to admit to it or talk about it, so you talk about fat or you're angry or you feel unworthy. That's another one. Right. Well, we use fat as an emotional term, and fat isn't a feeling. You know, I put in my book, uh, in, in, in Do I Look Fat in This, I have a language exchange guide for women because so many of us only speak with four descriptive terms for our emotions, you know. I'm angry, sad, happy, or fat. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then all of a sudden you're so like, true. wait a minute, there's more to life than just saying, like, I feel fat because that's not a feeling. So there's a whole other emotional spectrum, a rainbow of feelings that we have. And I find 
that why that's important is that it's empowering to give women more descriptive terms of their real feelings because then they can focus on the real feelings and not focus on this false feeling of being fat. And Jess, you have really hit on something. I mean, at least for me, and I know for many other women, because I do that. I do that frequently. I wake up. Let's say I'm feeling depressed or upset. I'll say, oh, I feel so fat today. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it's not that I feel fat. You're right. I'm feeling upset about something. So I use that terminology, and it really, as you say, it, it's not an emotion, but we use it as as such. You know, you write for uh, Seventeen Magazine, so these are like girls, I, I assume that the readers, teenagers, college girls and stuff. What's their biggest problem, would you say, regarding this I feel fat syndrome? Well, I can tell you that my readers at Seventeen are so amazing because they, they're starting to get this earlier and earlier, which is good news for all of us out there who are moms or mentors or grandmas, but the biggest thing, of course, that goes on, there's two big things that go on in the life of a girl 13 to her early 20s, and that is her body image and boys, and usually those two are pretty linked together, because at this age, I'm finding that the girls are less, you know, they're they're less inclined to really be focused on their own health and well-being and are so hyper-focused on, on external validation and mostly coming from a guy. So, you know, we, we spent a lot of time on, in my column and on, and on the blog site at 17.com talking about, you know, this guy told me I, ha- I was chubby or my boyfriend pinched my thigh the other day and said I was fat. And so they're, they're really trying to learn boundaries, boys and body image all at the same time. <laughs> and I give it to them because so are we as women. <laughs> I'm like, you know, this is where it all starts. So we get into some great conversations about, um, how to really care for yourself and why when you're a teenager, even though it seems counterintuitive, I always encourage teens to make sure their opinion of themselves is the most important and sought-after opinion, not of their peers. Yeah, and that's tough to do. And as you say, if you're starting young and you start with these younger girls at 12 and 13, um, I, I think it's great because then they won't wind up. At, and I think also, I, I don't know if eating disorders, or are, are they on the rise or are we – with young women, or is it sort of tapering off? Well, no, I, they're not tapering off in the slightest. I think we we think that they're on the rise because we have more of an awareness around them, but my hunch is that they have always been this insidious, and we're just now uh, you know, paying more attention to them. The challenge with some of the eating disorders awareness that we have, you know, we have 10 million women in this country and 1 million men who struggle with a diagnosable eating disorder. Um, and that's already tragic, but what is also tragic is the fact that there's probably about 20 million more who struggle with undiagnosed eating disorders and variances on chronic dieting, meaning sometimes they restrict, sometimes women use uh, uh, purging as weight control, sometimes women are overeating, and all of those areas can be classified as eating disorders, but they don't happen frequently. And there are a lot of people who are walking around with undiagnosed, heavy disordered eating or eating disorders, and because we're only focused on one kind of physical view of beauty, it gets, it gets left out sometimes. People don't think they have a problem if they're doing some of these extreme measures. So I think it, it kind of goes in tandem with it's great we have beginning to have more awareness, but I think that because we're having more awareness, we're going to see a rise in eating disorders because people hopefully will be coming forward to get help. 
Yeah, so the work you're doing is really important. I mean, not only the, I mean, writing for Seventeen Magazine, um, you know, being a mentor and also your books. Is, um, I mean, you've written several books. I didn't mention all of them. We have about 30 seconds left, but you do have a website with Jess.com. Actually, we just changed our website name, so I'm so happy you said that and literally like yesterday. So it's now JessWiener.com, my name, okay. .com. And um, we'll be doing a big relaunch in, in a couple of months, but basically this is the place you can go to to get more information on self-esteem, body image, eating disorders, and how to be, as you said in the beginning, an everyday actionist. How can you be a woman in the world taking more action in your everyday life? Great. Great having you on the show this morning. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, just have a great day. We're going to take a short break right now. I'm Catherine Zox with Lauren Beller on Voice America Women's Network. We'll be back in a few minutes. Talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Did you smile today? A healthy, attractive smile shows confidence and will give others a great first impression. Tune in to Dr. Chad for Smile Radio. If you have a question that you've always wanted to ask your dentist but were afraid to, Dr. Chad is here to help. Did you know there's a strong connection between oral health and general health and well-being overall? Join us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, that's 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Smile Radio with Dr. Chad. Ladies, what are you willing to do to live the life of your dreams? Are you willing to start today? If your answer is yes, even if you are just mildly curious, you've got to tune in to Wise Divas with life coach and host Teresa Proctor each Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Start living your wildest dream today. talk with you not at you we're voice america women's radio network the new face of talk radio you're listening to the Catherine zox show on the voice america women's channel if you'd like to join our conversation this morning call now the toll-free number is 866-472-5788 that number again is 866-472-5788 Welcome back to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, Lauren Deller, and we're on Voice America Women's Network. Thanks for joining us this morning. So, Lauren, did this resonate with you at all? It certainly did with me, Jess Weiner. I mean, I think that's so true. Uh, everything that she said, this whole thing about life doesn't begin five pounds from now, or it shouldn't anyway. 
you know, I can remember when she was talking about the teenagers, I remember that period of my life being so huge about what my physical body looked like. And I think at this point in my life at 42, I don't, Think, I don't think that way or live that way, but I do remember. But truth, I, you don't. Let's say now you're at a stage. You just had a baby. That's another stage. Of, you know, obviously women go through. You gain weight. Uh, you weren't concerned about how much weight you gained, and I'm not talking about the health of the baby. But when you were pregnant or afterwards, it's like I have to lose the, the baby fat. I have to, you know. And you said that, that was a time that it was because it was an unknown. Where once. Up until that point, I was 39 when I got pregnant, um, I didn't, I wasn't a big deal, and I'm not the norm. I know I'm not the norm in this situation because I'm a, someone that has a metabolism that can eat and eat and eat, and no one ever wants to hear that. But I, I have to say, it's... We it's, certainly don't want to hear You that. don't want to hear it, and it's, um, it's, there's a couple things. One is I, I exercise frequently, and I'm not an over-exerciser at all. Matter of fact, I should do more. And I don't have to from, you know, if I, if I don't, it's not like I gain five pounds if I don't exercise for two weeks. So I'm very fortunate. And it's just as much work, but a different kind of work. And anybody that has the same situation that I do totally understands that. So I can't relate to it as an adult, but I absolutely can relate to it as a teenager. And I don't remember the point. And I guess I learned about my body and trusted my body that it was just going to be the way it was. And I could eat. I was also very hungry. I remember my mother used to feed me milkshakes to get me to have weight on me. I had a friend like, actually my best friend was like that. She would sit there eating Pepperidge Farm cookies exactly. and eating the whole box. I could and do the was, same thing. Yeah, and she was too skinny, scrawny. That was always her issue. But, you know, Jess in her book, with this book, Life Doesn't Begin Five Pounds From Now, she's got this uh, chapter on saboteurs versus supporters. You know, we're talking about... Yeah. and and women who are your either your supporters and you need to be with people who support you in your life. We talk about this all the time in terms of business. Um, or those who try to sabotage you and you have to be aware of who they are and stay away from your saboteurs. And there's a quiz there. I thought this was kind of cool. Take this quiz and, and uh, if you you got to buy the book, obviously. But here's one of the questions. Like, what you show up at you show up at a party. And, and how many times, this maybe hasn't happened to you, but it's happened to me. You show up to, to a party feeling fantastic in your new outfit. Your best friend says to you, A, you look amazing. Can I borrow that shirt sometime? Or B, I don't know, didn't know they made that in your size. <laughs> <laughs> or C, why are you so dressed up? Who are you trying to impress? Or D, great, now I look horrible and underdressed next to you. I mean, look at those. Those are all, there's a, you know, I guess B, C, and D are three ways of how other women can be your saboteur or try to sabotage you when you're feeling great about yourself, right? Absolutely. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have to ask ourselves, are we continuing to allow those people in our lives consistently? Yeah, and because I think that those I think it's difficult. It depends on who it is, right? I mean, Absolutely. if it's a close friend, it's, it's yeah. much... Or a sister or, a, you know, your yeah. mother or, you know, I know people that have mothers that say that to them. I do, too. And then, Yeah, and then what do you think? Exactly. And they, oh, I didn't know it, exactly. They, they And they say it constantly. It comes up all the time. And yeah. then they're surprised if their daughters have eating disorders or have difficulty. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I think that, so this is really important. Um, I mean, I... I have friends who will say to me, and I say friends, I guess, you know, um, you you don't eat a thing. 
because I'll keep my, you know, I have a friend, you know, I have one friend here in 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 New York who is quite a bit overweight, but then she'll always say, and so her excuse is she'll say, well, you're thin because you don't eat a th- you don't eat anything. Well, it's I do eat. I eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I'm not always trying to starve myself. And so that's very, it's like a, it always bothers me, but it always comes up, and, and it's not true because I do eat. And, um, you know, it's – but I think that's kind of like a, a saboteur kind of thing to Absolutely, do. Absolutely, I think it? that is. I would agree. Yeah. yeah. Makes and me, the question is, is, is she eating a lot more and feeling guilty about it? You know, yeah. it's always the other person's issue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she. Yeah, and as I said, now my mother never does that. I mean, she never did. Eating was, and I think this was always a positive thing. Eat it if you want to, and don't eat it if you don't. I'm not going to make extra another dinner for you. And I've never done that with my kids either. You know, if you don't like it, then don't eat it, and that's right, the end right. of it. Yeah. So, and I think that's you know not making a, an emotional uh, issue about eating or not eating. It, do you do? No, I think that's true. It's, it is what it is, and I'm not going to make a big deal. I was funny. I was. As a two-year, you know, Sarah's two, and my aunt was here, and my aunt is very heavy. Excuse me, I just sneezed. I muted so that you didn't hear me sneeze, but now I'm sniffling. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, she's very heavy, and she was watching me. We're sitting at the table feeding Sierra, and I was feeding her. She was, it was Thanksgiving time. I was feeding her, so she wasn't quite two, and she's like, you need to let her feed herself so that you're not shoving food in her face all the time. Now, Sierra is a kid that will eat three bites and really walk away, but you can get her to eat a lot if you know how. Not a lot, you know, a decent, so that you fill her belly so you're not feeding her every 20 minutes, you know. <laughs> and she, she had a big issue with um, how we feed people. You know, it was very interesting, but it was all her stuff. Yeah. Food and eating and the process of eating uh, is very tied up. Big, it's such a big emotional issue with so many people. Yeah. It is. It's the, I mean, I used to watch Friends, and I think that's a good point, how you feed your, be conscious of how you feed your babies or, yeah. you know, stuffing the food. Uh, it's it's very, and it's very different for each, like, mother and child when you see them um, feeding their babies. I mean, I remember being with other women and um, some of them shoving the food down, you know, just kind of like stuffing it in and not making it a pleasurable experience. Um and not at a certain point allowing the child to pick and choose what they want to eat. Uh-huh. Uh, there are just a lot of, yeah, there are a lot of um, uh, relationship problems that result from feeding. Um, it, yeah, it's interesting. It is interesting, and it, the impact it has over the years. I remember my father calling my sister fat. Well, to this day, she is someone that's in the gym seven days a week. You can't get her out, and she's skinny. She doesn't see herself as skinny. You know, she sees herself as chubby. Well, she sees herself as the way your father described, exactly. her, described her when she was younger. Exactly. Well, here's another one. When I used to feed my the boys and all of them, you know, one's a filmmaker, one's an actor, one's a musician, so they're all into the arts and they're uh-huh. all into that kind of stuff. When I fed, and I was very conscious of this, they'd be sitting in their um, high chairs and they would be eating the food and they'd mush it around and they'd <laughs> play with it and they would do all kinds of creative things with it instead of, like, cleaning it up right away or telling them not to drop it on the floor. That's interesting. I let them do that, and you know what? It, as a result, they all have, you know, one's a wonderful painter, and they did kind of, not kind of, they became these artistic young men. That is so funny. Well, uh-huh. I guess my daughter will never be artistic then. 
<laughs> well, you have it. She's only two. You can, you know, you can vary it a little it's bit. It's so true. Yeah. It is so true. And if you try to control everything that somebody eats and make it a very controlled kind of situation, it does set it up does. certain it, kinds of... It does. Pers- yeah, it does. Personality it, it's, it's, it's features. Real, I'm, real, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut no. you off. I'm realizing that we are responsible for creating the relationship other young people have with food, and that turns into their adult relationship with food. Yeah. Also making choices. I Uh think, you know, like if you take, instead of you making the choice all the time about what they're going to eat, give them a choice, even like taking them to the grocery store, letting them pick out stuff in the context of good stuff. I mean, you you only, you know, you allow them certain things, but that makes a difference too, Uh Making starting making your own choices about food, and then that generalizes to making your own choices about other things. It's so true. Uh It's choice and, and what our relationship is with it is just, it's critical, but that is true with any, like our relationship with men is choice and what we, how our relationship was with our fathers. Yes. Uh, so inter- it's, all, it's all connected. Well, the whole, this whole issue about fathers and daughters, and this is, this is for another show because, you know, we, always the mother is the one who gets the bad rap. You know, yeah. your mother did this, your mother, but now they're, especially mothers, uh, daughters and fathers, the new research that's coming out, your relationship with your father you, as, a, as a young wom- woman or as a young girl has a huge impact on your development, oh much more so than they used to think. And I think it's more so in so many ways with the daughters and fathers. I think that that has such impact on you for the rest of your life on your relationship with your significant other. Yeah, or your choices in men and all yep. of those different kinds of things. We have to say goodbye. We have one minute left. Bye <laughs> bye. Yeah, it does fly by. It was great. Anyway, Lauren Deller and Catherine Zox, we're going to say bye to you right now. Hope you have a good morning. You're listening to Voice America Women's Network, and have a great day, and we'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversation with Catherine Zox.